0: If you have your Bible, would you open up to Matthew chapter 5? If you're using the Bible in the seat back in front of you, that's page 683. So Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. You may have heard um, the parable of the life-saving station. It's It's a powerful story and if you haven't heard it, I mean if you have heard it, it's worth repeating. On a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks occur often, there was a crude little life-saving station, and the building was just a hut, there was only one boat, and there were a few devoted members who kept constant watch over the sea, and with little thought to themselves, they would go out day and night searching for those who were lost. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with this Uh, station and they gave their time and their money and their effort um, for the support of its work and over time new boats were bought new crews were trained and the little life-saving station grew some of the members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and and poorly equipped and they felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as a first refuge for those who were saved from the sea and so they replaced the old emergency cots with Um, with beds and with better furniture and built an enlarged building. Now the new life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members and it was beautifully decorated um, because they used it as sort of a club. Fewer of the members were now interested in actually going to sea on life-saving missions and so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The life-saving motif continued to prevail in the decorations of the place, and there was still a liturgical lifeboat in the room that they used for initiations of new members. Well, about this time, a large ship wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold and wet and half-drowned people. And and these people were sick, and they they were dirty, and the beautiful new club was in chaos. So the property committee immediately decided that a shower house should be built outside the club where victims of shipwrecks could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split among the club's membership, and most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities because they were unpleasant and they were a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted, though, that life-saving was the primary purpose of the club, and they pointed out that they were still called a life-saving club after all. Well, they were finally voted down, and they were told that if they wanted to save lives, they could begin their own life-saving station. And so they went out, and they did just that. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old one, and it evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded, and history continued to repeat itself. And if you visit that seacoast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. Well, as a church, we have been earnestly working together to resist this drift that that tends to pull all churches off of the mission that Jesus gave us in the direction of comfort and self-benefit. And and part of our efforts have led us to this point today where we're ready to launch four new lifeboats which we're calling missional communities. And so this is launch Sunday. And at a moment like this, I thought it would be good for us to remember the famous words that Jesus gave us about who we are as his followers. We are, Jesus said, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And these are powerful images that Jesus chose. Light, of course, shines in darkness so that people can see where they're going and what they're doing. Salt was used back then both to flavor and to preserve food. They didn't have refrigerators back then, and so they'd rub salt into their meat so that it would keep longer and so that it wouldn't spoil. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been thinking and praying a lot lately about this place where we live, Westchester and Putnam Counties. This is one of the most spiritually dark places that I've ever lived. You know, I lived for eight years in the Pacific Northwest, in Vancouver, Canada, and and that area is reputed to be one of the most unchurched and and post-Christian and spiritually unreached places in North America. But I'll tell you, the churches and the ministries, the Christian witness and presence there was bigger and more vibrant than it is here. It's dark here. It's, It's a real spiritual dead zone. And so let me ask you, how do you think God feels about that? Do you think God wants it to be that way? As I've been praying about this, I'm convinced that God wants to change this situation. That that God the Father isn't isn't happy that his own son, whom he loves, isn't being followed, isn't being listened to, isn't being worshipped and lifted up more in this area. Do you realize what a calamity that is? That that Jesus Christ, the truth, the, the Savior of the world, Lord of lords and King of kings is routinely ignored around here as if he didn't even matter. I think God wants to change that. I don't think he wants, or rather I think that God does want his son to be honored. That he wants to see his son's reputation improved. That he wants to see people respect and follow his only son. I'm convinced that God wants to to see people here, or wants people here to to experience the life and the salvation and the the healing and freedom that Jesus came and bled and died for them to have. And so I've been praying for that to happen, and I've been asking God how he's going to do it. How he's going to turn the lights on spiritually in this dark area. And guess what? I remembered somewhere along the way that I already knew the answer. That I remember that Jesus has already told us how he's going to do it. Matthew 5:13 and 14. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It's us and groups of believers like us who are the ones that God wants to use. That's not to say that Jesus can't appear to people directly in dreams. It's not to say that in a mysterious and and mystical way, the Holy Spirit isn't out there already at work in people's lives. He certainly is, thank God. But Jesus has been clear that somewhere along the way, in the process, he intends to use us. I mean, think of CBC and a few other the few other churches in this area. There aren't a lot of us. If we aren't going to be salt and life, or salt aren't going to be the salt and light that, that God uses to bring this area to life spiritually, then, then who else is going to do it? Jesus said that we, as his followers, are the salt, we are the light. I had the privilege back in 1994-95 to attend a, a gathering of student, uh, college students from all over Europe in Warsaw, Poland, at a student conference. And the speaker of that uh, Christian conference was the well-known Bible teacher, John Stott. And he was speaking on this passage, and, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, when society goes bad, we Christians tend to throw up our hands in, in pious horror and reproach the non-Christian world. But should we not rather reproach ourselves, he asked. He went on, You can hardly blame unsalted meat for going bad. It can't do anything else. The real question is, where is the salt? That reminds me of something E. Stanley Jones, the famous missionary to India, once said. He was pointing to the early church as an example for us today. And he said, The early church didn't say in dismay, look what the world has come to, but rather in delight, look what has come to the world. Look what has come to the world indeed. Jesus, the light of the world, has come. We read that in our opening reflection this morning, right? Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus, who's like a a gleaming city shining on a hill for life's weary travelers. Jesus, who is is like a beaming lighthouse in in the dark, storm-tossed night of the world. Jesus, who is like a bright lamp shining in in the darkness of life so that humanity can see clearly. Jesus, shining love where there's hate. Shining forgiveness in place of bitterness. Shining truth and clarity where there's ignorance and confusion. Shining out hope where there's despair and, and discouragement shining knowledge of God where there's darkness and ignorance. And this Jesus, the light of the world, then says to his followers, to you and me, you are the light of the world too. You are the salt of the earth. This word you in the original Greek is emphatic. It's, it's you and no one else. It's you alone are the salt and the light. Now, Jesus doesn't say this to make us arrogant. He he doesn't say it because he thinks that we're better than everyone else. No, he says it because he is the true light, and you could say he's the true salt as well. And it's only those who follow him who learn to be like him who are salt and light as well. So Jesus came not only to be the light, but to teach and to transform those who would follow him to be light like he is light. Now don't miss the fact that our passage this morning falls right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, that that amazing, wonderful, challenging, scary, enticing sermon about how if we even look at a woman lustfully, we've committed adultery with her in our heart. And if we're angry with our brother and sister, we've murdered them in our heart. And if someone takes our coat, we should let them have our shirt as well. And that we should love our enemies and we should do good to those who persecute us. And that we should store up treasures in heaven, not down here on earth. That's how Jesus lived. And and that's how Jesus taught his followers to live. And And it's those who live that way, who live like Jesus, who are the true light of the world and salt of the earth. Not those who claim to be Christians, but can't be bothered to follow the teachings of Christ. No, for Jesus, it's a package deal. You you follow him, you follow his teaching, and you're light like he's light, and you're salt like he's salt. If you don't look like Jesus, the light, then you won't be light yourself. If you don't act salty like Jesus, then you'll lose your saltiness. Now, Isn't this concept astonishing? I mean, how many Christians today actually believe that living out Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount and other places as well is the way to reach the world? I mean, think about how the Sermon on the Mount starts with the Beatitudes. Jesus says he expects that his followers will wind up being poor in spirit and that they'll mourn and that they'll be meek. And merciful and persecuted. Now, how in the world can people like that have an impact? I mean, isn't it the intelligent and the the well connected and the well resourced and the eloquent who have an impact? The best and the brightest? And yet, Jesus tells us to love our enemies, to, to share our possessions, to turn the other cheek. How in the world are people like this ever going to have an impact? How are we ever going to be salt and light living like that? Well, Jesus did it, didn't he? And so have his people who have faithfully followed him ever since. Listen to John Stott again, quoting um, Kenneth Laudrette's, uh seven-volume history on Christianity. He says, No life ever lived on this planet has been so influential in the affairs of men and women as that of Christ. From that brief life and its apparent frustration has flowed a more powerful force for the triumphal waging of humanity's long battle than any other ever known by the human race. Through Jesus's life, millions of people have had their inner conflicts resolved. Through it, hundreds of millions have been lifted from illiteracy and ignorance And have been placed upon the road of growing intellectual freedom and control over the physical environment. Jesus' life has done more to allay the the physical ills of disease and famine than any other impulse, and it has emancipated millions from chattel slavery and millions of others from thraldom to vice. It has protected tens of millions from exploitation by their fellows, and it has been the most fruitful source of movements to lessen the horrors of war and to put the relations of men and nations on the basis of justice and peace. This is the influence of Jesus through his followers in society. Don't underestimate the power and the influence that even a small minority can exert in a community. Crazy, but true. Crazy that a man who who lived in relative poverty, who never published a book or founded an organization, or traveled more than a few hundred miles from his home, or held a position of influence, but instead got murdered in disgrace three years into his ministry. Crazy that such a man should turn the world upside down. And yet he did, and so have his followers when they followed his example. You are the light of the world he tells those who will follow him. You are the salt of the earth. Notice this isn't a command. It's a reality. Jesus doesn't say become salt, become light, go out there and try harder to make a difference. No, he says you are salt. You are light. We are salt and light because Jesus is, has made us, Jesus is making us salt and light. And if we are salt, if we are light, then we will have an impact. We will make a difference, just as Jesus himself did, just like his followers after him have done. Our only job, Jesus says, is to stay salty and not to hide our light under a basket. So... Jesus doesn't command us to reach out here. He doesn't tell us to go engage in mission, at least not in this passage. No, he simply informs us that reaching out and being missionaries is who we are. It's our very identity. Outreach isn't a choice. It's our very identity. It's part of our purpose for being. Jesus, the light of the world, came not for his own benefit, but he came to reach out to the world. And and Jesus has saved us and called us to himself, not just for our own benefit, but also for the benefit of the world. Light has no other purpose but to shine in darkness. And salt has no other purpose in the kitchen, at least, but to season and to preserve food. If Jesus says we're the light, if he says we're the salt, then he's saying that we exist for and because of the influence that we're going to have, that we need to have in the world. That's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer said famously, if you are not a church for others, then you are not the church of Jesus Christ. If you're not a church for others, then you're not the church of Jesus Christ. If CBC is is a church which belongs to Jesus Christ, then CBC exists not just for ourselves, but for the sake of others. Because that's why Jesus came. He came for the sake of others. You know, in the past few decades, the Western church has been waking up to this reality. It's often been called the missional church movement. And those church leaders involved in this wake-up have challenged one another with with this question. How do you measure your church's success? Are you successful if your people are happy? If your uh, seats are full? If your offering plates are full? Are you successful if your programs are well attended by Christians? Because you can have all of that and, and be having zero impact on your community. You can have all of that and not be a church for others. And if you're not a church for others, is it really Jesus that you're actually following? So, so here's the question for us. What impact are we having on our community? If CBC disappeared tomorrow, would anyone in the surrounding community notice Would Westchester and Putnam counties miss us? Would they be any worse off as a result? If we're salt, if we're light, then it seems like that's an obvious question to ask in order to to measure how we're doing as a church. All right, so listen carefully now. If we're not having much of an impact, the answer isn't to beat ourselves up with guilt And then to try harder to drum up new outreach programs or evangelistic initiatives. No, the answer is to go back and to get to know Jesus all over again. And to let Jesus make us salty and fill us with light as he he draws us close to him and, and as we begin to live out his teaching. We are salt. We are light when we look and we act like Jesus, the light of the world. All right, so now this is important. If we do look and act like Jesus, then in the words of John Stott again, there's no way we're going to remain snugly in our elegant little ecclesiastical salt cellars. (laughs) Ignoring a major purpose for which we exist. Ignoring Jesus' own example. And the momentum of his life. No, because again, Jesus, the light of the world, came not for himself. He, he came for the world. He came to shine in darkness. It's the nature of light. It's the nature of salt to be used up, to, to shine out, to be poured out, to be rubbed in. That's the example Jesus set. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, at the end of the day, what what impact all this has on the world isn't ultimately our responsibility. It's Jesus's. That's a relief. And Jesus has a way of being impactful. Jesus, just like in in his own uh, short ministry over three years and his seemingly ministry-killing death on the cross, it turned out to be the, the, the most impactful event of human history. And just like his small band of followers that he left behind seemed so unlikely to be salt for the whole earth and, and light for the whole world, and yet look at the impact that, we, that they had. So too, Jesus can give us impact, surprising impact, when, when we're living his life, when we're doing his work in his way. But those results are his business, not ours. Our only job is, is to be Salt that's out there being salty. And, and light that, that's out there shining out in dark places. Boy, when I hear Jesus talk like this, I, I get excited. I can see our church as, as a beacon burning brightly in this area. I, I can see this area coming alive spiritually. Jesus is the light of the world, after all. Can, can't you imagine the glory that it would bring to God in Westchester and Putnam counties if they became heavy, with God's presence, if if this area became like a lighthouse, showing the way, being a blessing to the city, to the region, and all around the world. That's what Jesus says we're here for, to be salt, to be light. And to take a step in that direction this morning, we're launching four missional communities. Now, what are missional communities? Well, they're just groups of people who've decided to get out of the salt shaker together. To, to take church, to take Jesus to where the people are who need it. A missional community is a group of people who have a common vision. They have a common focus on how they're going to be salt and light together. And who they're going to be salt and light among. Or to change the analogy, they're, they're a group of people who are launching a lifeboat together to get out of the cozy club, to to ply the stormy waters. And as they go, they're, of course, going together. Jesus never sent people out alone. And, and of course, it's more fun to go together, too. And and everyone brings different skills and and gifts to the task. And and how can the world see the the way Christians live and and love, like Jesus taught us to live in love, if, if they never see more than one of us at a time? So they're going together, and and as these communities go together on mission, they're also going to seek to grow spiritually along the way, to keep drawing closer to Jesus, to keep getting to to know Jesus and to love Jesus more and and to live out Jesus' teaching, to to keep their salt salty and to keep their light burning bright. You can also look at these communities as, as laboratories of how to do um, church, how to be salt and light in a changing world. How to, to best reach today's Westchester and Putnam counties as things are rapidly changing. Maybe these communities will work great, just as they are. Or, or maybe there'll be learning experiences, learning experiments. Maybe there'll be steps in the process as we, we figure out something better. Jesus wants to, to teach us how to be salt and light. I believe that. And, and so we're just going to have to follow him and, and let him help us figure it out together. So that's what we're, we're seeking to do. In just a minute, I'm going to invite a representative from each of these groups to come and share for a couple minutes what their vision is. And then we're going to pray for them all as we close the service. And then right after the service, we're going to have coffee and refreshments upstairs. And each group is going to have a table at one of the four corners of the room. And you can visit out, visit them. You can find out more of what they're doing and consider joining them.